0: From a very early age, we were taught that our parents are just biological parents. The real parents is the party. And so if there's a conflict between choosing your own parents or the party, you should always, always choose the party.
1: In this episode, I sit down with Xi Van Fleet, a survivor of China's cultural revolution. She's the author of the new book, Mao's America, a survivor's warning.
0: Here, you are supposed to go to trusted adults, not your parents. So they did not say party, but it is a very similar. They want to cut the ties between parents and the children. Why? That's
1: the, how you control the children. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kjellek. Shivan Van Fleet, such a pleasure to have you back on American Thought Leaders.
0: Thank you. This is exactly two years after the first interview. Thank you so much for having me back.
1: Well, yeah, and I I went back and uh, looked at your interview from then. And man, what a great piece. I want to link it for those that are watching uh, on our streaming service on the web and so forth. I mean, it was incredibly powerful, raw interview where you showed remarkable parallels between what's happening in America and your own experience during the Cultural Revolution in China. It brought tears to my eyes listening to that interview. I'll just, <laughs> again. So thank you. Um, and you. And thank you, by the way, for referencing it in your new book, which is what we're going to talk about today, and sort of you really dug deep into understanding these parallels and what it means. So why, why don't we just start off there, okay? Mm-hmm. I want to recap a little bit your background, where you were born, what happened, how you came to America, and when you started seeing things that reminded you of the past.
0: Yes, I was born in China. I spent my first 26 years in Mao's China. And I spent my entire school years, which was only 10 years, Mao cut it from 12 to 10 because education is useless. So I spent that 10 years in the Cultural Revolution. After I graduated from high school, there was nothing for us, nothing for the young people. So we were all sent to the countryside to do what? To get our re- Education from the peasants, so I worked in the countryside under primitive condition for three years until Deng Xiaoping took power and opened universities and through examination, I was able to go to college at the age of nineteen and to study english and uh, After that, I was given a job uh, to teach in the teachers college and uh, there I met uh, some American teachers. In the early 80s, China started to open up, and uh, a lot of uh, volunteers from America come to teach. And I met a friend, and uh, she helped me to get citizenship to come to America. And so I went to Western Kentucky University. And uh, that was 1986.
1: Tell me what it was like during the Cultural Revolution and how you were involved. I mean, you brought quite a few, you know, fascinating anecdotes from your own experience there um, in the book, and I, so I, I just want you to tell me about that time because for a lot of us here in you know in the West, it's it's we we have no idea. Just
0: to uh, summarize in one word, chaos, and it's pretty much overnight everything just turned upside down everything school was closed and because the teachers and administrators were all uh... by the kids and i was in elementary school and i saw students attacking teachers and uh... one day i was uh, in the classroom and saw on the blackboard teacher left a note no schools for three days and that three days lasted for two years. So during those time, we were out every day on the streets really watch what's unfolding in front of our eyes, the Cultural Revolution, the uh, struggle sessions, the parade of those being denounced, and eventually it turned into violence, and uh, total chaos. And uh, we saw the cancel culture of by the uh, Red Guards, and I saw them going to people's homes, taking out everything that's considered old, traditional, and destroy them. And I saw them um, brutalize people, stopping girls who have the incorrect hairstyle and chop their hair off. It is absolutely
1: chaos. Well, and one of the things you hear about the Cultural Revolution, right, is that the. Sometimes people were down, sometimes people were just kind of murdered, and there was no reaction, mm-hmm. right, from, from the regime. So the, the, that emboldened the people doing this. Yeah. You know? So it, was all, it almost became a kind of a craze.
0: Yes, absolutely. Right? Um, the first killing in the Cultural Revolution was done by a group of girls in middle school. And uh, so they tortured and beaten and tortured their assistant principal and then eventually killed her. And actually, they were a little scared. They're just like 12, 16 uh, young girls. So they reported to the Cultural Revolution Committee. And uh, the answer is, well, if she died, then she died. And that emboldened emboldened the, uh, the Red Guards. And the violence started to be really Commonplace, and the Red Guards went after the so called black class uh, people and killed over uh, 1,700 in a month in Beijing alone. After that, it uh, took over the whole country and even in my province and in my city.
1: You know, you said overnight. You know, to suddenly me, suddenly my you memory. Have, you have chaos, mm-hmm. right? But what was it that changed? What was it? Was there an edict? Was there like this is, this is what we want to understand here?
0: Yeah, right? they, they started with so-called peaceful, um, uh, peaceful ways to uh, denounce the people in power, and how they do that, they use the big character posters. So it's like kind of like today's social media. They have uh, um, whatever they wrote in big piece of paper with big, uh, big letters and put on the wall so everybody can read. M- my memory was overnight. There were just big character posters everywhere on campus, and uh, so people just go there and and read it. And I was too young. I was only in the first grade. I could not understand the content, but I, I could understand that they were uh, denunciation of teachers and administrators and there was a lot of cartoon going on. And I could figure out that everything uh, this is about is uh, the whole system is bad and need to be overthrown. And so that's how it started. And that is absolutely overnight. On the street you see all sorts of uh, slogans, all sorts of posters. and. Uh, that's the starting point and eventually from there it become violent
1: well and so this is the thing that can be difficult to understand because like mao had power already mm-hmm. right of course you know we'd had the great leap forward which was you know disastrous and people were uh, aware of this of course many and so you know mao had many threats so this was as i understand it his reaction to that and his opportunity to purge yet another group of people. It was, you know, this was basically communists going after communists.
0: That is right? something that it's very hard for a lot of people to understand. I have to tell you, it's very difficult for me to understand. And, but it is a culture revolution. It's a revolution against Mao's own party, the CCP. And it's a revolution against his own institutions. For what? You know, so why? It's for his own power because he felt like he was losing power. And he felt like uh, um, whatever they had been doing for the past 27 years was not radical enough. And he wanted to fundamentally transform China. And transform into what? Into a more radical version of Marxism, and that's Maoism.
1: So you know, and of course your book is titled Mao's America. you know, one thing before we go there, actually, I'm just remembering uh, you talking about, you know, you actually participating in some of these, you know, struggle sessions effectively, right? So, I, I, again, it's hard to imagine. <laughs> that being the reality, but, but uh, there you were. So tell me about that. Struggle
0: session. there are all sorts of struggle sessions. The struggle sessions, you can call it like a hurricane. You can see a huge rally of people and have those uh, people standing, uh, those people who were denounced, standing on the stage and uh, um, they, have to, um, they have to admit They were uh, the counter revolutionaries. They were whatever they labeled that put on them. And uh, so those are the big uh, hurricane, I said hurricane type of a struggle session. But everyone has to go through it. It's not something just for those being denounced. We have this called criticism and self criticism. It is something everyone has to go through, including kids in school. And what you do, you denounce yourself. Because you always uh, have to compare yourself to Mao's instruction from that little book and say, you haven't done enough and, uh, in this respect or in other respect. And then that's not it. You have to denounce others. You have to say, so-and-so, I saw one day you did this, and that's not really uh, what you should do according to Mao's instruction. So that is routine. So that's the kind of uh, uh, struggle session I've been through. It's called gentle, milder version of the real struggle session, but it is a way of life during the Cultural Revolution.
1: But you, you describe there's this one moment in the book where you describe yourself holding Mao's portrait up on stage, and feeling so proud that, that yeah. That, that, tell me.
0: You yeah, know, everyone want to be part of it. If I were just, uh, I say, if I were just uh, four years. Or maybe five years or older, I definitely will be part of the Red Guards. So I was too little, and I just joined my cousin, who were the real Red Guards, and they have this uh, uh, propaganda Mao thought propaganda team, and so it came to my town. So I joined them. So and uh, uh, so they have to give shows in on everywhere they stopped, and I was given the task of carrying Mao's portrait to lead the team on stage, and I was so proud of myself. So it is something that swept everybody away. There are people who saw this and uh, and understand what it was. I think a lot of people just don't, a lot of kids. Uh, it's just something that you feel like they have to join. Just imagine, just think about 2020, the riots, the BMM. Uh, so many, so many people joined it. They really Do they really understand what it was? But they joined it. And we saw the, uh, when I saw the videos of uh, just thousands of thousands of people got on the street thinking they're doing something great.
1: Do you feel like you were brainwashed?
0: Absolutely. That is the result of brainwash. I was too little to do any damage, but what's the uh, uh, the Red Guards? They were absolutely brainwashed. They were brainwashed to the point that they believe their, their purpose of life is to follow Mao's instruction and do what Mao told them to do. And just because of that, Mao was able to control them And to really—the Cultural Revolution is really the revolution of the youth. And uh, Mao used them to took the power, and Mao used them to destroy the traditional uh, culture and all the institutions. It's all done by the young people. And why could they do that? Because they're all
1: brainwashed. I'm thinking about James Lindsay's The Marxification of Education. Of course, he wrote the yeah. introduction to your book, but um, you know, we didn't realize how deeply in our educational system in the US and Canada, you know, uh, that this whole um, oppressor, oppressed ideology has been embedded at such, a, at such an early stage in life. I mean, this is one of the big parallels you draw out.
0: Yeah, I think in China there's a little bit uh, difference because Mao had power, CCP had power. They totally control the uh, educational system. They absolutely—they um, decide what to teach, and of course, it's all Marxist and uh, Maoist um, values. And uh, But here, and uh, a lot of people just don't understand because they were never taught the history of communism. And a lot of the things that um, um, they heard sounds kind of good. Sounds kind of like, a, yeah, you want to be uh, inclusive and you want to be empathetic, you want to love, you want to accept. And uh, so this is something that uh, people like me who've been through um, the Cultural Revolution, who've been through or lived under communism, we see through right away because. The same thing was taught to us, but people here, they don't understand it. But because it's deceptive, a lot of people just accept it without understanding that it is what they're supporting actually is evil.
1: Where is the commonality between what teachers are doing today, and I say not, all, of course not all teachers, but many and what they're being taught, uh, and, and what was being taught to teachers or in Maoist China?
0: Yeah, in Mao's China, it's very simple. From a very early age, kindergarten, we were taught that uh, our parents um, are just biological parents. The real parents is the party and, uh, uh, and, uh, and Chairman Mao. And so if there is a conflict between choosing your own parents or the party, you should always, always choose the party, and that's basically uh, what the the, uh, the red guards did. Yeah, uh, many of them denounced their parents, many of them um, reported their parents, and ended that up with their parents being executed. And uh, here, especially today, in uh, um, in school, and you are supposed to go to trusted. And doubts, not your parents, and uh, so they did not say party, but it is very similar. They want to cut um the ties between parents and the children why that's the how you control the children
1: you know you're just reminding me you know in the uh, gender affirming care ideology, um, you know that basically this is a so-called standard of care that's being applied uh, in for many children in schools where the um, counselors are basically they'll think like they'll say things like in front of the kid to the parent you know would you like to have you know a dead child or a living um, or a living child i.e. If, I- I- if you don't go along with our approach your mm-hmm. your, child, your child will commit suicide the parent becomes sort of the the outsider
0: absolutely and then and, and they made it sounds like uh, it's the government that is the real protector of
1: those children. There's no such thing as someone else's child. No such thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children.
0: And that's exactly what happened in China. And I'm sure in all our communist countries.
1: You know, another thing that's very striking to me is this uh, hostility towards Honest accounts of history, or, or uh, you know, accurate accounts of history.
0: Yes, that is always something that the communists do. In order to control the children, you have to rewrite history. And uh, um, in China, the history was totally, totally rewritten. And the history that I learned was absolutely fiction. And I have as even. Today, I still have to detox the, all this junk they put in my mind. Those who control the present control the past. And when you control the past, you control the future. And so, to me, is there's so many people here in America, they don't see what we see. Why? Because they don't know the history. The history was so whitewashed, and in school, they were taught the crimes of the Nazi, the crimes of slavery. Few of them know the crime committed in the name of communism. F- far more people killed were killed under communism, but they were taught communism is about the sharing. That's rewrite history.
1: Well, a testament to that is a whole lot of young people view it as a positive system. I mean, there's been multiple surveys done on this. It's astonishing. Uh, I think this is a Chinese expression. "is putting the powder on the face of communism, right?
0: Absolutely. I I was talking to a a co-worker of mine, and she said her new daughter-in-law called herself a communist. I said, do you know what that means? Do you know that Mean that sounds like someone tell the Jews that um, they are Nazi. But she said, "Really? Yeah, that is how bad things are. That they absolutely have no idea. Why? It's because they're taught that way.
1: It's almost like you know. It's actually the successful people, whoever is successful, those are the people that are cast by the system or and related ideologies as the oppressor." Irrespective of whether they're oppressing anybody, yes. What do you, what do you think?
0: That, yeah. That's that's actually the operating system for Marxism, and uh, so in China, how did they do that? They identified those uh, rich as the problem, as the problem for everything that China was experiencing. So the goal is to eliminate the rich, so that they can achieve equity. And so the rich were those who were successful people, and including Mao's own father. Mao's father was a prosperous and peasant, rich peasant, and he described how his father got rich. He did not explo- exploit anyone, oppress anyone. He worked hard and he was smart, made a lot of uh, uh, good uh, decisions. So, in uh, communism, wealth is the original sin, And they are the problem. That uh, They are the reason for everyone else's uh, misery. And here, same thing, we see the same thing happen. And so, the Chinese were supposedly, or the Asians in general, according to the uh, skin color, we were non-white, right? We were supposedly uh, the people of color, And not anymore. And uh, we are now called uh, white adjacent. So why? Only one reason, which is too successful. So they do not, they do not want people to be successful. When you are successful, you are independent and you are not easy to control. And they like people to be dependent so that they can control them. But not only that, they want to make this. A divisive uh, way to set people against each other. They really ferment resentment and hatred to those who are successful.
1: I think you've said that the term "racist" essentially means the same thing as counter-revolutionary back in the day. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah it's everything in during the Cultural Revolution is uh, um, whether you are uh, you are with them or against them. If you were not in line with them exactly, you are counter-revolutionary. Same here. Sometimes you, you, you see people being called racist, and it's just ridiculous because they're not saying anything. Like, mass is racism. In America, it's just replaced by the word racist, or more than racist, you know, that bigot, extremist, whatever, phobia to use that to cast people out and put you in the enemy's camp and then they can denounce you and they can punish you
1: so well th- th- this is actually just a really really important point i want to dwell on this for for a moment it's just the idea is there's the correct ideology yeah and you you're supposed to know what that is and really it and it comes from you know the, the apparently ostensibly the people in power and it says this is what it's supposed to be. And if you don't agree with it completely, basically, now you're potentially on this, being a counter revolutionary or any number of these other slanderous terms, basically, that are used, right?
0: Yeah, especially an early stage um, after the uh, um, CCP took over power, everyone learned it quickly. Being rich is bad, right? Look rich is bad think like a rich is bad. Think everyone wants to look like proletarian, especially those intellectuals.
1: Because, uh, the, because the, the intellectuals were the next group. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So to look, think, act uh, like a bourgeois like a, you know, is bad. So everyone wants to look like a proletarian. And, uh, um, and the same here. Uh, think white, is bad. Act like white is bad. If you study hard, you act like white, right? And and mm-hmm. you'll be outcasted.
1: Okay, so let's talk about the features where you find these similarities. Okay, so one of them, of course, is education. We just discussed how you know basically having the teachers follow this ideology was a really important element, right? Um, we talked about uh, um, a kind of you know red guard that's. Functioning at the will or at the uh, acceptance of the ruling class, right? That's another feature, and we talked about this antipathy to the nuclear family, mm-hmm. which that's another kind of you know important commonality. What else? What else do you think is very important?
0: Communism is about uh, uh, abolition of private property, but I would say more than more important than that is. Abolition of uh, independent thinking. It's really, really about control of people's mind. And uh, and also, it's about dividing people. They don't want to rule over a united population. They will always try any way they can to divide them. And how? In China, it was uh, relatively simple. They divide people by class and that was uh, uh, Mao's identity politics. And uh, they don't just divide you and just say you are um, okay, rich peasant, landlord, or poor peasant, whatever. You get a label. You absolutely get a label, and that label is part of you. It's your identity. If you are categorized as uh, um, the black class, which is property class, and you are the enemy of the state. And that label, or that identity, becomes hereditary. That's so important to understand. It passed on to your children and your children's children. And that's what we see in America, identity politics. They divide people. Subdivide, sub 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 subdivide. They will never stop. And uh, here we still have class, right? The uh, Bernie Sanders still use class to divide people: the haves, the have-nots, the one percent versus ninety-nine percent. By the way, that's exactly the figure that Mao came up when he was analyzed the uh, Chinese population in the twenties. He said, "We got." one percent against the 99 percent. So Bernie Sanders, they got the same number, and I don't think it's a coincidence. And then in America, um, race, sex, and uh, sexuality. And even uh, during the COVID, the, the uh, vaxxed and unvaxxed,
1: yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And you make this very interesting distinction in the book where in, in China, it was the majority being set against a minority, right, so to speak. But here it's kind of the other way. It's actually backwards. It's the minorities that are being set against the majority.
0: They know that is a disadvantage. You are setting a small group against a big group. That's why they keep expanding the small group. The list just goes on now uh, we mentioned some right um, um race uh, uh, sex gender sexuality and uh, um and age right
1: hmm.
0: if you are fat you become victim Th- they just goes on why because they want to expand the well,
1: the minority and the thing that you know jumps to my mind here is really there's this feature of um this version that we're experiencing in the west which is this weaponization of empathy, we want you know in general, people want to help the minorities, we want to be positive towards the minorities, and so that is I think one of the ways in which this whole ideology was snuck in.:
0: I think woke is really uh, a weaponization of uh, people 's goodness, the goodness of uh, want to love their na- neighbors, want to love their fellow citizens. And uh, and want to accept and want to be empathetic, and use
1: it against them. One of the things that's very potent with the approach of using race, you know, as this kind of tool, right, uh, for the oppressor oppressed dichotomy, is that it is actually somewhat hereditary. You don't have a choice. You, you would have to take significant steps to try to change that. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, the race uh, CRT is really the most potent, to me, the potent uh, weapon to divide people. Yeah, more so than the class. You know, in Chinese, in Chinese, we look like okay, where you live, where you work, people know which class you belong to. But you can get away from it in a public space, right? Nobody knows uh, who. But the race is something that you wear it. You are oh, it's always there. And it's much, much more potent than class.
1: You know something that I've been thinking a lot about recently, because of uh, the Hamas attacks on Israel, right? Recent that happened recently is just the potency of hatred in the Cultural Revolution. Was it? Did people just hate the hate?
0: The whole thing is driven by hate. Communism is built on hate. Hate what? Hate the enemy. Who were the enemies? The party tell you so. The party tell you who were the enemies. And so when I grew up, we were taught the black class were our enemy. And those who failed to follow the party in locksteps were our enemy. And I and and I mentioned that in my book. The, uh, the word people in China is called 人明. okay, and uh, the people who are condemned as the enemy is called 敌人 or class enemy, jieji So you either belong to people or you belong to enemy. Once you become enemy, you're no longer people. Your humanity was taken away from you. And so anything done to you, was justified? that sounds familiar now? That is how they teach the, uh, the children to think, black and white. Once the party condemns you as enemy, anything can be done to you. Nothing uh, is too much. Right now, what we see on the streets of uh, people who just... Uh, um, support Hamas. Why? Because it's simple. They, uh, they identify Israel as oppressor and then the, uh, the Palestinian as uh, oppressed. Once that definition is made, it's very easy. It's very easy to justify anything that uh, the oppressed did to the oppressor. And including terrorism, including slaughter, murder, and that's how they they indoctrinate the children, indoctrinate the youth, black and white thinking based on oppressors, oppressed, enemy or
1: people. I want to say this: Mm -hmm. the book is fantastic. Um, I endorse it. Uh, Thank you. It's incredibly important that. Cultural revolution in China, what's happening in America, are not the same. At the same time, there are incredibly striking parallels, and I think you do a fantastic job at documenting them. It's a chilling, a a chilling, chilling reality, and it makes you wonder: you know, could we end up in a situation like what the cultural revolution in China, if this is left unchecked? Mm -hmm. And I think your answer is yes. Yes, yes.
0: (laughs) I think Mark Twain said that uh, history seldom repeats itself but often rhymes because China is not America. The time is different. The culture is different. And so can't, I think it's a mistake to compare um, to compare it as if it's apple to apple. No, but it rhymes. And when you look at uh, the big picture and connect the dots, they're exactly the same thing.
1: You talk a bit about you deprogramming yourself, right, and I find that, An incredibly important piece. You know, people will be able to read your book and sort of understand the extent of these parallels, and they're shockingly extensive. But what about your journey from being the proud holder of the Mao portrait to where you are today? Right. How? What did that look like?
0: Well, it's a long journey, and. And uh, and sometimes it is uh, um, something that it's not like I'm making the effort. Today I'm going to detox. It's gradual. And I think it has a lot to do with my desire to assimilate. And people now said, why we want to assimilate? We want multicultural. My question is, why do you want to even come here? What made you want to come to America? I want to come here because. I know America is great. It's great for everyone, for individuals. But it took me it's a journey, but it took me a long time to appreciate what makes America uh, great. It took me a long time to, to even grasp the concept that our rights were from God. For the longest time I thought our rights were from the government, because that's how I grew up. The government uh, and allow me to do this, not allow me to do that. I think a lot of people still don't understand. They come here, and uh, they don't even bother to to learn of the this great country and its history and its uh, um, the values, because they're discouraged to do that. They were taught, you should be proud of your culture, and multiculture is what makes America great. No. Multiculture is not what makes America great. What makes this country great is because the American values, and what are those values from? It's rooted in Christianity. So that took me a long time, and I have to uh, get rid of this idea that rich is evil. I really, for a long time, Mm -hmm. I just feel like uh, they were rich because they exploited others. I mean, I have to say, probably just 20 years ago, I still believe it. Um, Yeah, I think, yeah, how can they get rich? The only way they can get rich is by exploiting the poor. And it's something that the young people firmly believe today.
1: As that belief system has grown, I think the actual exploitation has grown. Because, of course, you know, with all these things have a kernel of truth in them. Yes, there are some people that get rich this way. Yes, that the system can be set up to be stacked you know, against the poor, for example. But it, the irony is it's precisely in these communist societies where that is so extreme.
0: Capitalism is not perfect, of course. There's no such thing as perfect system. But in capitalism, you have the choice to say no. You absolutely have the choice to say no. They can give you, you know, unbelievable low wage and you can't walk away. Not in a communist country, hmm. not in the communist system. You're stuck where you are. You have no freedom to make that
1: choice. Well, there is one choice in that system you have to make, but for some people that choice is unconscionable, which is to become the model worker, the model communist party member, right? and then maybe you will be advanced.
0: That's not a choice. So how do you get ahead in the communist system? Um, first of all, you'd better uh, have uh, your roots being red, meaning you come from a good family background, you were from a proletarian background, and, and then you are in the uh, red camp. That's the first step. That and Then you have a head start. And, but if you're not, and then you still have a way to, to advance. But first, you have to cut ties with your bad family. You have to cut ties with your past. You have to denounce yourself. You have to give up yourself so that you are totally, totally in line with the party line. And then you may have a chance to advance.
1: That's chilling because. I'm afraid that that's a bit of a parallel in our society today or increasingly so. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that whatever the you know the 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 dominant approach I the, the dominant ideological approach. Today,
0: is. yeah. You if you want to advance, you'd better go along with the ideology even if it's a lie and you know it is a lie and you know women um is women and man is man, but if you want to advance, you'd better go along with that lie.
1: She, as we finish up, mm. um, you mentioned you know cancel culture a number of times through our conversation, and it strikes me as, you know, one of the kind of key instruments of, of what's happening here and, frankly, what, what was happening there. So, so tell me about that.
0: Yeah, I I believe that uh, the real goal for the woke revolution or the American Cultural Revolution is to change the culture and to destroy everything in the past the traditional value the traditional family the uh, traditional institutions everything so what happened in China is the four old that we talked about at least in my last interview the old ideas, old tradition, old custom and old habits have to have to be destroyed. Why? So that it can be replaced by Maoism. And that's what's going on here today. They want to destroy everything that is traditional and they replace with the woke ideology, which is Marxist ideology. Only when they destroy everything, burn it down to the ground, can they Build back, not better, but worse, and so that they can take take power.
1: You know, I want to go back to, you know, when I first became aware of you, you were, um, you know, I guess testifying. you speaking at the Loudoun County uh, uh, School Board meeting, and so why don't we talk about, you know, what, what you think is to be done in our current moment.
0: I know, that is a big question, and a lot of people ask that question and looking for a simple answer. There's no simple answer. I I always say the first thing that we need to do is understand what is really happening. And I have to say, not everybody understands it. Not every conservative understands what's really going on. And you can't fight back something that you don't understand. And that's why I wrote that book, is to tell Americans what's going on in America is nothing new. It happened before. So only when you understand that, we can take the next step to expose it. And then we also need to take action and get organized. And I always tell people, start local. And the first thing, the most, most important thing is to get the right people in the school board because in order to win this war we have to win our school system education system because those children are the
1: future of this country well shivan fleet it's such a pleasure to have had you on again thank you so much for having me thank you all for joining shivan fleet and me on this episode of american thought leaders i'm your host yanya kellick